Welcome to the Blackout Show, presented by the Guillen Grid, a show about the Chicago White Sox baseball, the good, the bad, the ugly. We'll debate what's working and what's not on the south side of Chicago. It's old school versus new school baseball. And most importantly, we're keeping all the receipts. Jay Targaryen. I'm here with Slav, Gonzo, OJ. Now, let's just get right to it. Lucas Giolito gave us a dazzling fucking start tonight. Six shutout innings, scattered three walks, seven Ks. Like, he was absolutely fucking brilliant. Again, this is the second time I come on this show and I open you guys up after a Lucas Giolito masterpiece. The Yankees, they were coming in. They were fucking swinging hot bats. And Lucas put the fire out. Absolutely made Stanton look like a child. Absolutely made Donaldson look like a child. Guys, I'm fired up. Now, I'm not a Lucas Giolito guy, but I celebrate Lucas Giolito's success. And I was I was very uh, pleased with his outing tonight. Very pleased. It's, it's a shame he only went six innings because he had 99 pitches. Um, they had a good, uh, good shot of Pedro Grafol in the dugout, kind of talking to him after basically telling him you're not going back out for the seventh. I'll, I'll give Giolito credit. Um, he's got that bulldog mentality on the mound. Like he wants the ball. He doesn't care if he has to throw 150 and go full Edwin Jackson. He did walk three guys. He struck out seven. Um, but something about, you know, Yankee stadium and, and White Sox pitchers finding a rhythm. You remember that outing last year from Kopech? Um, probably one of the better, more dominant, you know, kind of spurts on we national saw from him. television too. That's right on ESPN. Um, what does this do for for Lucas Giolito's trade value? That's what I want to know. Is this um, is this is this? They got a big decision to make with him, and I, I don't really know what. I, I think we all think it's very unlikely that Giolito is back with the White Sox next season, um, but. Man, they, they're going to have a tough decision on their hands. Do you trade him? Do you let him walk? Do you give him a qualifying offer? Do you ride it out? Big choice to make. He's he's actually, when you're looking at, at Giolito, one of the things I like about Giolito, meaning he's not my type of pitcher, meaning I'm, I'm not a guy that dies over Giolito, but he's, he's, a, he's, he's like a Javier Vasquez 500 guy. You know, he's, he's a, way better than 50% of the league when it comes to pitching. He's healthy, okay? One thing that he has been with the White Sox is healthy. I mean, he hasn't had long stints of arm issues, you know, falling. We're looking at the, the Grum situation of that fiasco of $47 million down the drain. Tommy John, guys pitched 
18 outings in the last three years. So when you look at a guy like Jolito and his numbers, his numbers actually start becoming very interesting with what's available on the free agent market. Jolito makes the three pitches very well today, which he's done really good this year. You know, 46 forcing fastballs, 20 changeups, 34 sliders. It's a great mix of pitches, meaning you're not relying on one pitch to get batters out. He's relying on his defense. And, and just last month, the worst outing that he had was just four earned runs. And he looked, it looks horrible because the times that he has done that, his offense has been pathetic. Dead. It's been it's dead. Been de- it's been dead. So when you're looking at four earned runs or less in this time in, in the game of baseball, 1980s, different story. But four earned runs for, for six to seven innings, it's actually a very good average. So Lucas Jolito is doing his part, number one, to get paid, number two, to become great trade bait. So he's making it very hard for the Chicago White Sox of do we move for this guy or do we ride him out, try to get him a qualifying offer or try to extend him and keep him here long term? Because let's be honest, Lucas Jolito fits very well into the Chicago White Sox mantra, what he believes off the field, the feel good guy with the fans. He is a Chicago White Sox. guy. He fits really well in the organization. Let's be honest about that. So he's making it very interesting because my whole thing was Lucas pitches does not pitch well move him someone's going to take him because he's got so much upside but now looking at it and looking at the market it's getting very interesting because he keeps getting better and better as the start staff and even if he is average okay even if he doesn't have to climb the ceiling of being a top five young guy a five top five side young guy if lucas does this and he is going to be worth the money that he will be paid gonzo here's my my question to gonzo the White Sox now sit here four and a half games back in this god-awful division. What message would it send your fan base if you did decide to trade Lucas Giolito with a chance to still win this division? That's a good question. <laughs> Waving the Venezuelan flag. That's the white flag. White flag. I need a white flag. <laughs> Which, it frustrates me because I want to trade Geo, but at the same time, I know if they do that, you're going to get a lot of White Sox Twitter saying, why didn't you? They go right back to what we didn't do with Carlos Rodon offering the qualifying offer. But I feel like this is two different situations because um, you got to think the last couple, the last two years, um, Gilito has been on a regression. So you got to ask yourself, as an average pitcher, is he worth that qualifying offer money that he's going to get? To me, I think you can definitely put him in a package to trade him to get a better arm for the future. At the same time, you can put a little bit more money into getting average pitchers, too, of that same caliber for maybe cheaper. Um, but again, I want to trade him, um, but I know that's not the – the norm for what people would want. I think a lot of people are going to start tweaking, like you said, Slav, and start waving the white flag. But in, in my ideal world, I think, and I know we talked, me and OJ, we talked about this a month ago. I feel like you can retool and still compete if you're doing it the right way. Then again, I don't know if we can trust Han to do so, to retool. Um, I'm what's proud a qualifying of you, offer? So I'm Gonzo, proud of you, Gonzo. Gonzo, what's the what's the qualifying offer for Jolito? What what's the number? So I think me in the pre-show, Slav and I were thinking that it's going to be nineteen twenty million dollar range, and the compensatory Slav was at fourth round. Was I it? think it was yeah. Uh, if the if the comp was like Chris Bassett and I think Degrom both 
the comp picks were after the fourth round. So not bad. Yeah, it's not bad, but it's like, okay, are you do you trust the front office and scouting department to draft well enough to make oh, that yeah, yeah, a, a yeah, worthwhile get- prospect? If you do trade them, like what's the return going to be for a rental? Because more than likely, no matter what happens, Giolito is going to want to test the free agent market and and sign a longer term contract. And you know, this is his one chance, really, probably in his yeah. career to get paid. So, and you it's, said, a, it's how much money is he getting in the open market? So here's my question: When I'm looking at that again, we're, we're, there's two things that I think White Sox fans don't take into consideration enough. Lucas Giolito likes Chicago. Okay, he likes the White Sox, likes whatever good culture or bad culture. He likes it here. Okay. So you're you're already like dating this pitcher. You're already taking him out. Like so the conversation with him should be very I'm hoping that if the White Sox have not have have not been trying to sign Lucas Giolito and trying to work out a deal, then means that you should trade him. Like if if you have no desire of having him in here, package him, let him walk, you know, trade him. But if you do want to sign him, I hope that those conversations are happening. And believe it or not, I haven't heard one rumor of any conversations of they're trying to sign him. This is, you know, Lucas, you know, denied a denied a, a, a contract offer. I've never heard anything from that end. But if they do want to sign him, they should do it as try to have that conversation as early as possible. Because if he goes into free agency could you, compared to other pitchers, how are the White Sox? They're usually not the team to win in a bidding war. Every time they've gone in a bidding war versus another team, even when they've offered more money, they have lost. So what makes you think that they're going to land Rias and whoever else is available there by giving them more money? It's not, it, it usually doesn't end well for the White Sox when you're in a competition for a player at the end of the day. So if you do want Lucas, I think you get him before he even goes out there and maybe overpay your guy to just stay here and be like making him happy. That's just my take on it because if you do want Lucas – compared to what's out there from a pitching standpoint, my number one thing that I think it's a big difference between him and Rondon, with all due respect to Carlos Rondon, he was an IL his half of his career with the Chicago White Sox. So that it was not worth the risk in my, in my opinion. Lucas is not that guy. So Lucas goes and gets hurt afterwards. It's like, well, they didn't really have that track record. You have to take that chance because of his health. So that's why I think he's so attractive to so many teams. But if the White Sox want him, they need to get him before he goes out there and starts dating and making yeah. himself available. Because if not, it's gonna he's going to cost a lot more than I think he is now. And I'm going to say that neither qualifying offers are going to be worth it in Rodon nor Giolito. But at the same time, going into next season, you're going to – I would definitely try to get whatever value I can out of Lance Lynn and probably Clevenger too. But I definitely want to get the most I can out of Giolito at this trade deadline because – those three pitchers are going to be gone next year. And you, you only have two guys in your rotation right now for 2024 and Cease and Kopech. So what I would love to do, this would be unbelievably ideal, but if you can trade TA and Giolito to the Dodgers, because Dustin May is on the 60 day or 60 day IL. I thought you were going to so say for need... Dustin May. I was like, oh, no, no. what? <laughs> no, no, but uh, damn. TA and Giolito, if you can get a package of possibly Bobby Miller, Vargas, and that, rushing their second prospect prospected catcher that'd be an unbelievable deal with two guys ready in the majors already and then one prospect at a catcher that would be your leading catching catcher for next year um that'd be three needs and 
ultimately that'd be the third guy in your rotation for 2024 with Bobby Miller. And then you only have to get two more guys. And that would mean that you would save that money for TA on, on like a guy like Nola or Urias to be a guy up end in your rotation. And then you'll, you only have to get another Clevenger guy as your fifth guy, or you bring up whoever, or if you're going to slide crochet back into the starting rotation, there's your five. So Man, well, really, if this was MLB the show, be. the White Sox would be really great next year got, with that plan. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to pull it off, but uh, I, I would wonder what it would take to, for that package of three because I don't know how the Dodgers value TA to begin with. So, uh, so just for just for reference, Giolito now with an ERA right around four. Actually, it might have come under four after tonight's outing. Uh, he'll be 29 in a month, uh, in five weeks exactly. He's going to be a free agent at 29. For for a comparison, Chris Bassett got three years, 63 million from the Jays as a 33 year old free agent this past winter. Um, I would think at best like 575 to 5 100 on the very very high end if he has a great second half for Giolito. Um, that type of contract, I don't think the White Sox are going to give it to him. Um, so it's definitely an interesting um, an interesting predicament that Rick Hahn and company will will be in. Uh, so that's off the top of the show. Interesting uh, interesting from Giolito. Sox have won four games in a row. They're four and a half game out in this. Do-do AL Central. <laughs> They're back. They're um, back. So, um, Giolito himself was a very highly touted prospect uh, drafted by the Nats a long time ago now, it feels like. Uh, and we're going to get into some more prospect talk here coming up. Um, we have a special guest on this evening's episode, and that brings us to Blackout Live. <laughs> So who is the next Lucas Giolito for the Chicago White Sox? For that, we bring in Daniel Victor into the show. Uh, White Sox minor league hype man, officially Daniel Victor. Uh, Daniel, thanks for joining us on the Blackout Show. Thank you, gentlemen. Been a long time coming. Glad to be here. Uh, so the the guy that everyone was talking about on Twitter uh, this week, specifically Noah Schultz, this year's first-round pick from the White Sox, big lefty. Uh, made his minor league debut after uh, what was the injury that he had? I don't want to say it, but it was a forearm strain. Oh, never want to hear anything about that. What was your biggest takeaway? He only pitched two innings. I think it was 28 total pitches, uh, big, tall lefty, but it was pretty impressive stuff. It was more than impressive. It was insane. Um, I don't like to get hyped up over two innings because anybody can have two incredible innings, but um he came in, you know, I've been talking about him for a long time because uh, I did a, a draft review last season and I talked to J.J. Lally, the, the scout that brought him into the fold. And, uh, you know, J.J. was hyping him up. And talking to a scout is a lot like talking to a guy's parent, you know. Um, <laughs> they have a vested interest in his success. So you want to believe what you're hearing. I mean, but the guy is also not only is he like a parent in his positivity, but he's also – you know, putting his name on the line when they uh, 
when they sign a kid for a couple million dollars. So, um, you know, JJ was telling me incredible things about uh, what he thought of Mr. Schultz. And uh, I got to say what I saw, everything he said was true. I mean, he told me that this kid could have a, a 80 grade fastball, a 70 grade slider and a 60 grade change. I mean, when you've got a pitch mix like that, those guys are Hall of Famers if they can stay healthy. And, uh, you know, and then he said, you know, if he said he saw it as maybe even just three seventies, you know, um, if something doesn't turn into the 80 grade with the fastball. But uh, he's six foot nine. He's got he's very long and lean. Um, he's got the sail build. Um, but he's only 19, so he doesn't even have the, uh, you know, the college muscle on him yet. Mm-hmm. You know, the arms are pretty uh, spindly. But uh, I watched him come out of the dugout. I wanted to get there early and, and take a look at how he carried himself. And uh, I watched him walk out and do his warming up and his stretching. And uh, he was messing with his belt over and over and over. And I said, oh, the kid's nervous. You know, he just keeps screwing around. It's like a tick or something. And uh and I asked him about it two days later when I saw him, and he just he told me there was a wardrobe malfunction and there was a button on his pants that was uh, it was bothering him and he couldn't straighten it out. But I thought it was nervousness, you know. So I asked him uh, if he had some butterflies, and and he said that he you know a little bit. But uh, one thing the scouts also told me about him was uh, they really lauded him for the. He said he doesn't let a situation um, pressure him. They said it's like a walk in the park for him, and it really was. He came out. First inning, um, first pitch right down the middle, 96. Tried to get the same pitch by the guy on the second second one, and uh, he slapped it in the left field. for It was a pretty weak double, but it was a double nonetheless. And I was like, oh, boy, here we go. You know, a kid's on a 35-pitch limit or two innings, and I'm thinking that, you know, Tanner McDougal threw 30 pitches the other day in the first inning. And uh, I was thinking, yeah, this is going to be disappointing. I'm going to get out here and watch him, you know, blow his pitch uh, limit in the first inning or, you know, 1.1. He's not even going to get two. And, uh, man, he pounded the zone. He threw, like, 76% strikes, 22 of 29, five yeah. swings and misses. He just mixed the slider in his two-seamer, and uh, they couldn't touch him. They had a double-A kid there on, on rehab, too, that led the uh, high-A team in home runs last year, and he struck him out swinging. So he, he looked really good, and he's going to be uh, going Friday, and I can't wait to see what he does on the uh, – Encore. Hey, so, Dan, go ahead, Gonzo. I saw in your interview a couple of days later that um, with Noah, I forgot who on your squad did the interview with him, but he said that he was mostly throwing that two seamer. And I know Slavko told me that you know it was mostly high. He didn't think he thought it was pretty straight. But what could you tell out of the movement of that two seamer? Because I know that's something that he like really has been more focused on than that four seamer prior in high school. Um, but what? What can you tell us about that movement, the two-seamer, before you even ask about, like, change-up and slider? You know, I, I have to admit, looking at the highlights, it didn't look like he was had a lot of movement, but I know that his movement is absurd. Um, I mean, I was if you looked at the highlights on White Sox Daily and saw the strikeout pitches, they looked pretty flat. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously there was something to them because no one was touching him. I mean, period. But uh, analytically, when he throws his two-seamer um, – the uh you know the pitch tracks over at the ballpark you know the Rapsodo machine and all that whatnot um it thinks that his uh right-handed slider it moves so much you know and this wow. is this is a left-handed two-seamer with arm side and and you know the uh the pitch tracker thinks it's a right-handed slider because it's moving so hard 
and uh, he's got nasty movement on everything. His uh, his slider is three thousand plus RPMs as well, and uh, it's off the chain. They said that when he got to spring training, you know, he got to he got there early, and I guess he pitched a couple a uh, couple at bats to major leaguers, and they said that uh, he struck out two of the three are two of the four major leaguers that he uh, had faced. And one of them came away saying that it was the best slider he'd seen since he got in the major leagues. Wow. Wow. And to do a little follow-up onto that, um, it's kind of confusing because on Twitter I saw during like the game, like during the game of it, he was saying how he was focusing more on the change-ups, but then like in the interview, he said that it was actually the sliders, um, not change-ups on the off-speed. Um, can you straighten that out for us for during what you saw in the, in the game? Yeah, he threw he he threw one slider or one changeup the whole time. It was just uh, two seam and slider. Okay, yeah, because I know that when he was drafted, it was the talk was all about the slider and two seam, and that he was working on the changeup. So I, I was really hoping to see that changeup more, see uh, if he has that third pitch or not. I was told he does. As a matter of fact. Yeah. Uh, his coach told me that he thought his change could get to be as good as a slider. Wow. Well, I'm glad to hear that the arm side run on the fastball is there. It, it certainly didn't translate, and, and maybe it's just the you know the angle. Minor league baseball video is obviously so hard to judge pitching, especially off of. But the fastball from those highlights looked very straight. Uh, he didn't get the tilt that you would expect, I guess, out of someone who's six nine. Um, but it's good to know that there is that arm side run. Was he kind of sitting 96? Did he top out any higher than that? Um, velocity, what did it look like for, for all three? He was 95 to 97. And, uh, and then he threw his slider. It was pretty consistently 82. Oh, wow. It's a big, so it's definitely got more horizontal movement than, than like a Dylan C's kind of vertical movement. Yeah. It, it seems to be more like a, you know, more like a curveball kind of break than it is for a sweeper. Okay. Like, like, a, like a little Shane McClanahan type. Griffold like that horizontal movement comment. So here, I'm going to be honest. Let's keep it real. When is he going <laughs> to oh, be God. calling up? When is he coming up? Oh. Is that great? I'm just saying, you got bullets, baby. I'm just saying you only got so many bullets in that arm and obviously he doesn't have college. So we're, we're talking horizontal. We're talking all these amazing terms and it's all reads big league stuff. When is he coming up? And meaning, are they going to hold him up because it's the White Sox? And if he was in another organization, he already would be ready to be bigly ready. What's his time frame for Noah Schultz? Or is it going to be in this window or in the third window or second window? <laughs> Which window are we looking for to see Noah Schultz in a big league uniform as What's a starting the third pitcher? Window? What is could, the third, third window? window could be in four years, you know? His, his, coach, get... his coach is saying that he, he thinks he can get big league hitters out today. Yeah, with this stuff that you guys are talking about from a, from a, so number one, I like the fact that I did not know that JJ Lolly has scouted him. So JJ is a very good scout. He doesn't tend to get excited about a lot of guys. So I I I have a lot of faith in JJ Lolly, probably one of the smartest guys in the White Sox organization. That's probably the furthest away from the front office, uh, meaning the, the decision making these days. Very good at his job. But if he's from all these numbers that you're sharing, that's big league stuff. So he's going to get big league guys out with, with this sort of thing. So how close is he? Well, with the uh, with the arm strain, they're gonna baby him. I mean, he's on a very limited pitch count. They're gonna and they're gonna want to build up a workload. Otherwise, I mean, even if he could get guys out right down in the big leagues as a 19 year old, um, do we really want to pigeonhole a 
potential ace starter and put him in the bullpen right now? It's not like a, a win in the World Series this year. No, no, I agree. I How do you agree. know? How do you know? <laughs> well, hey, so they're only four and a half games out. There's only four and a half. No, so so here's the thing, though. So if it's more of a workload, let's get the innings in. You, 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 we hopefully see that in the minor leagues because the age, I don't care. Alex Fernandez, Jason Beret, uh Look at that's not Gonzo. that's not Major League Baseball now. Uh, correct. I'm just saying, Gonzo. You can go Google those guys. Those guys were prospects, meaning 19 to 22 years old. Scott Radinsky out of the bullpen. They were less than three years in the minor leagues. They came up and very effective. We've seen it with guys in other organizations. So with the White Sox saying, if that's his plan, meaning he's got big league stuff, but he needs the innings to build up the stamina, that that makes perfect sense because we want to build him as a starter. So that being said is when we see the games, we want to see inning consumption and him getting stronger and being able to do that. So again, at least you, at least that makes sense from what you're saying, meaning he needs that kind of build up because obviously he's coming off of the injury and whatnot. So, so from what you're saying, just from that, I'm going to say two years till he's in the big league uniform as a starter, if he's this good. He well, I'll know on Friday if he follows it up with as great of a start. Um, and it's uh, against the, the Cleveland team, and uh, they're kind of short on prospect wealth, so he he might be able to mow over these guys too. Do you know what his pitch? Um, limit is going to be like what is there any sort of plan that you've heard for for him this season is it get out to 50 pitches is it you know just try to get 60 innings in total this year what's the what's the plan for him no idea they don't they keep that stuff very cloak and dagger you just hear rumblings here and there um but my gut feeling is that he'll be somewhere around 35 40 pitches this time out and they'll probably work him up to 50 that's what uh Norhe Vera was on a 50 pitch count limit for most of his early starts last year and seems like it could be a similar plan for Schultz. Hey Dan, I want to stay there on Canapolis. Um, can you talk about, well, we'll start with the hitters with uh, Tim Elko and Jesus guy, Christ. Gonzo. A guy like, hold on. I'm logging a, guy out. Like, a guy like Brian Ramos. I want to hear your thoughts because I saw Brian Ramos in spring training versus the Padres and he probably had some of the best at bats versus Blake Snell really disciplined through the zone with his barrel. Um, can you talk to us about those two hitters? I like Brian Ramos a lot. He looked really good when he was in Kannapolis and then he got even better. You know, he stayed in, uh, he stayed stateside, you know, in the off season and he worked out all winter long and man, when he got to uh, Winston last year, he was a house on fire. I think he hit almost 400 and, in April and it cut his K's and he's got big power. He's got a lot of pop. Um, and even his defense is pretty good. It's not, uh, it's not as iffy as I thought it was going to be. Cause when he was in Kannapolis, you know, he was a 19 year old, maybe was he, he might've been 20, but, uh, you know, he was out there playing and, uh, I'm like, why are they, why are they making this kid the primary DH? You know, he was primary DH for like the first month of the year. And I'm thinking he must just have a, you know, lead glove to be, primary dh is a 19 year old prospect but uh now he's pretty good he can play some third base and and he's definitely got some juice in the bat what's his comp is he is he better in the minor leagues than moncada doubt it uh no no nobody i'm just moncada was a stud that's what i'm saying though so comparison wise again what's his comp because he looks a little thicker meaning is it is it third base is it second base you know because colas is a future dh already even though they have him in right field he's a future dh or first baseman from his body composition. So what's the comp on, on Brian Ramos? You know what? I don't even have a comp on Ramos. 
I, I really don't. I, he looks like a Terry Pendleton. He does have kind of that body. That's for sure. That's a good, yeah. that's a good one. But he's got a lot more power than Pendleton. He does really. Okay, that's 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 saying a lot right there. So okay, so Brian Ramos again. How far is he? Second window or third window? <laughs> if it wouldn't have been for the injury, I mean, if he could rake it, double A, he could. You know, I don't, I, I don't think that it would take him long to get to triple A and be ready. At, you know, at the doorstep. Yeah, no. So I know that he has a groin injury, and from the what I said, actually, Daniel's going to be uh, news to him on this. So I, I had a conversation with with Kenny and, and he was talking about triple A and double A and guys. And he made it clear that, you know, they, the triple A for the Sox is something where they like having their players in there. Um, which again, so, so it's something that it's been very clear where the guys are going to triple A. I don't, I don't think many guys are going to jump from double A to the big leagues from the comments that he, that he had made that, that, that pregame time. So, uh, so I can see him going in there. So are you talking about that same injury, the groin injury? That's my concern. Anytime there's anything leg related, to players, uh, just like we are about the forum with pitchers, anything that's like related to players, I get concerned. But I don't know how serious it is. But we're talking about that same injury, right? I don't know, man. I really don't. He was only in Canapolis for uh, one week on his rehab, and then they shipped him off to Birmingham. So I didn't even get a chance to see him in uh, in Canapolis this uh, for his rehab. Are we, are we yeah. going to skip Alco, please? Uh, yes, we are. <clears throat> uh, Dan, when we met a couple of years ago on Twitter, we would talk about the game organically, player development. Uh, your humility has been – I'm amazed by it and how you've actually taken care of these players and took the under your wing a lot of the uh, – you hosted a lot of the players too. Can you tell me a little bit more about what, what, uh, what avenue led you to that? Because I admire it, honestly. Dude, we really like it. I mean, first, it just came out as I started, you know, talking to the guys because I want to write about them because, like I said uh, before the show, Canapolis didn't have an MILB TV feed. The MLB team stunk. They were losing, you know, 90 or 100 games. Um, it was, you know, the, the major league roster was populated with a bunch of retreads and quad A players. And, and I just wanted to talk about the future because, you know, it wasn't really exciting to see what we were watching and, 35th and Shields. So I started talking to some of the guys and then uh, got to befriend a couple of them. And then uh, I was talking to some of the season ticket holders that would see me there all the time because at the old Canapolis ballpark, man, it was 250 or 300 of your best friends watching the game with you every night. It wasn't like, you know, a couple thousand people and you don't recognize everyone. It's like we knew everybody. Right. So, so I started talking to, uh, one of the host families and this uh, lady's been hosting the, the Latin ball players for years. I mean, she was hosting ball players since they were the Phillies. We're talking 20 years. And, uh, you know, she asked me if I wanted to get in on the, the host family stuff. So we started doing that. So basically, um, you know, uh, major league baseball pays for their housing. Now they built four houses for the ball players, and, uh, you know, they split the guys up and, you know, there's six, seven guys in the house and they got, several bedrooms and whatnot. But uh, what we do is uh, we used to do a, a, a booster club dinner every one Sunday a month after a, a afternoon game. We'd get together with the team and break bread with them and bring in a bunch of food for them. And then when they go on the road, we uh, we'd pack up road bags with uh, you know, a bunch of junk food that they probably shouldn't be eating and stuff that they say is their favorite and uh, you know give them some snacks for the road. I used to put Subway uh, – gift cards in there because everybody likes subway right <laughs> that, that kind of stuff and then 
we go see them at you know when they move up and we'll take them to dinner and whatnot so you know just try to give them a support system away from their families and whatnot uh i'm i'm with jay here so when i worked in the minor leagues as even a broadcaster i stayed with a host family i was in the blue jays a ball affiliate in lansing it's such a cool experience um but i do think there's so much value you have kids from all kinds of backgrounds especially in the lower levels um i mean we had daniel norris for instance second round pick teenager became a millionaire and then we had a closer and oh god i feel like an asshole his name ex- escapes me he worked in the factory with his father in the off season just to save a few bucks and he was the closer for the lug nuts you know he's trying to make it to the big leagues just like this kid that was drafted in the second round a teenager who ended up having a 12-year major league career um you know it's it's crazy that you basically have to welcome these kids into your life you don't know what you're getting into just like they don't know what they're getting into but so often it seems like it's just a great marriage for everybody involved and it's it's really cool for me just to remember some of those things like you mentioned you know the booster dinners and getting everybody together and you know the little baggies on the road trips minor league baseball it's not as grueling as it once was you know thankfully major league baseball has figured it out a little bit and they've given them some more resources but man it is a grind and you're asking teenagers sometimes guys from all different backgrounds that don't speak the same language to just get together and they all have the common goal but at the same time they're all kind of fighting each other it's such an interesting dynamic um and props to you for for getting involved in it thanks i, I got a good story i told this one uh, to ozzy before but uh you know i was telling you about that that host family that got me involved in all of this and you know their family's been around the the, the Canapolis team for years well when ozzy's bro- uh ozzy's brother was playing in Canapolis, ozzy senior went down there to see him play and uh this host family's uh kid was on the field playing one of those games between innings that they like to do and they give a kid that you know a giant oversized glove and then they throw a tennis ball you know throw him some pop-ups well he runs and he catches the first one and he catches the second one he misses the third one Uh, after the game he approaches ozzy and he wants to get an autograph now this kid's eight years old and uh you know ozzy's there you know watching this kid and probably talking to somebody from the white Sox organization and you know but he still had the wherewithal to watch this kid on the field. He said, hey, I got a question for you. And the kid looks at him, you know, he's all wide-eyed. And he goes, why didn't you catch that fucking ball? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. And, wow. And he said, uh, his parents said, he looked at us like he couldn't believe that Ozzy just said that to him. They just started cracking up. Yeah, that's awesome. By the way, Canapolis, where they found a guy named Eduardo Escobar. Onegin's best discovery was in Canapolis. Eduardo Escobar never got to play. That's where Eduardo started his journey. Pretty good, yep. pretty good eye uh, on that one. That was the host family that, that I'm telling you about. Yeah. His host family. Yeah, that's amazing. Great, great stuff. You know what? I I, I love before uh, before here we get into the next round of the, the reason I like that when you write things about minor leagues and the reason I started following you is it's a lot of people write and talk about minor league baseball in the business. And they've never seen these guys play and they've only looked at the numbers or the stats. Not only have you seen them play, but you've been around enough where you're getting to talk to the, to the young players and, and being able to, you know, talk to the coaches and see that part. So when you're writing your stories and you're, and you're breaking these guys down, you're, 
you're really knowing who they are and you're kind of seeing how they compare within that world of going through the minor league. So that's what, one of the things I appreciate on that. Uh, I'm going to let Gonzo, he'll ask, ask uh, about his other pitching staff. Gonzo is uh, also known as Katz's uh, assistant. He's, he's building, he's building <laughs> these guys for the, for the Katz lab. He wants these guys to get all these right-handed 24-year-old guys that he's building for Katz's lab. Gonzo wants yeah. So, uh, Dan, can you tell us, we'll go from low A to high A here with uh, Jonathan Cannon, Addison Coffey, Jared Kelly, and Peyton Ballett. I know that sucks in the early rounds drafted Coffey and Kelly, but um, I know you'll also give us a name of your own, but uh, could you t- t- talk to us about those guys, um, what you've seen so far from them? Dude, Jonathan Cannon is going to be a really fast riser. Um, I don't imagine he'll be in high A much longer. Um, he's six foot six. He's right-handed. He was, when they signed him, they signed him because he threw strikes. Um, he has great pitch ability. Uh, Fegan wrote a good article for him that was in the athletic over the weekend. And, uh, he's got a six pitch mix. Um, six. Yeah. He's got six. Jeez. That, that's probably a bit much. Normally, you want to keep like the best four and you know right. scrap two because of movement patterns and velo bands are probably uh, crossovers. Some of those pitches, but I'm sure that the, the organization is helping him muddle through that. But uh, last year when I saw him, he was throwing. Now, mind you, it was after the College World Series, long season, and he gets to you know it's kind of culture shock getting to the minor leagues. But he was not throwing particularly hard. Um, maybe 93 ish. Um, but I went and saw him in Asheville this year and, uh, he was up 97 and he was holding his velo his entire start. So it looks real promising. And he, like I said, he's got pitchability. He's got a, a strong pitch mix. He pounds the zone. Um, I think he could move, move really quick and be a contributor, you know, next year, if not even the end of this year. Okay, Peyton so- Pellet. That's that's the guy that I want to I want to hear about. Paulette's a small guy, and he's coming back from TJ, so he's uh, also being closely monitored. Um, fastball, ninety three to ninety five. He throws a really wicked curveball, ton twelve to six break on it. Um, but he's you know they always say after TJ that uh, the last thing to come back is your command and. Right now, he's struggling through that. His outings are short because he's on a pitch limit, and uh, he hasn't gone gone long with the pitches that they've given him. But the stuff looks really promising. But he's a small frame guy, and he looks like a little kid. I mean, he's he's got a baby face. He's twenty one, uh, maybe twenty two. But uh, he's got a like a Roy Oswald build. He's about six one, small frame. But uh, he could got some good stuff. It'll be interesting when they take the training wheels off and he builds some arm strength and gets his command back to see what he can become. Slob, second to third wave. Second to third wave for sure. For I, sure. Oh, you mean window? Like window, yes, yes. I went from <clears throat> wave, from, from windows to wave. But sec- I, by the way, I, I just got excited. The cannon, he's the first guy that you've jumped this whole conversation and said this year or next year so far. So that was actually because I didn't have him – I, I didn't think that he was that close. So that's good that someone is this close to potentially having an impact in the big league level that's not in the AAA world, which they is got, really good to know. They got to start moving him. Um, I don't know what why they're holding back on him. I mean, obviously, when you're moving the train at the bottom, you got to have movement at the top. So mm-hmm. 
so it, it's difficult. But uh, yeah, I could see him moving really quick. I like the SEC background too. I mean, that's high quality baseball. Um, you know, Pellet pitched at Arkansas. Um, Cannon was Georgia, right? So um, that it's high competition at, and those guys are usually given a long leash. Some of these guys that you're seeing in the College World Series right now in the regionals, like they're throwing 120, 130 pitches, and there's no even thought process of getting those guys out of the game. So there, there is a little bit of that already. What about Jared Kelly? We, we, we've seen the White Sox kind of take chances early in drafts on some high school guys or younger players that they maybe save a, few, a little money with some picks here and there, and then they give these big bonuses to a high school guy. Kelly, I know, had some injury issues um it it seems like the numbers really have not been there since since the white Sox drafted him he's your typical young player he, i mean he shows flashes he throws hard got a really good change up um working on the breaking stuff i haven't seen him this year but i saw him several times last season um just inconsistent with the strike throwing really and and working on getting that third viable pitch but uh he's got potential i when I saw him last year, I, I figured, and I hate to say it because it's a typical fallback, but uh, you know, if he doesn't make it as a uh, starter, I I see him being a high leverage reliever. Um, so, but I do see him eventually being a major leaguer. He's he's pretty talented. Uh, Dan, I just uh, I just want to you know, every time we talk, we always get into some DJ Gladney talk. Uh, what's what's the latest on my boy? Dude, DJ, he was having a heck of a year. The wheels have kind of come off lately. Um, <laughs> Jay's devastated. You got me geared up. He had more RBIs in games for a, a good long while, and uh, and he was hitting bombs like crazy. There's nobody – he hits the ball as hard as anybody in the system. He's a strong kid, man. When I saw him last year, I told that his dad that he reminded me of what Mike Rodolfo was at the same age and same level super strong um, when he hits it it's just he he hits exit belows are off the charts um it looks like he's got to tame the k monster he's got to stop chasing the slider in the dirt um but you know he's a young guy and that's young guys chase the slider in the dirt and when you watch the mlb team a lot of them still chase the slider in the dirt Luis robert does it for uh, a lot of money Yes, he does. Hey, Dan, you surprised me in the DM earlier, and I just want to say, are you taking McDougal over really anybody besides Schultz, you know, in low to high A? Dude, I really like McDougal. Um, that's another one, though, coming off of TJ, and he's trying to find his way as far as throwing strikes. Um, I went and saw him the day after Schultz pitched, and uh, he was bringing it 97 as well. Um He's got a big frame. He's got the Roger Clemens build, you know, the uh, the farm boy build. Um, long, about 6'4", stocky. Um, they said that his pitches have really good analytics as far as movement um, and spin rates. Um, he was having a hard time landing his, his breaking stuff when I was there. And uh, he fought, though, which was awesome to see because the White Sox have a, a limit a 30 pitch limit in the inning in the minors and you're out on 31. I don't know if there's a exception if you're on the last out of the inning, but, but he threw 30 pitches in the first thing. He walked the bases loaded and ended up putting up zeros for the outing and he went four. 
So it was impressive to see. You know, last year when Norhe Vera was on his pitch limit, they were always yanking him with runners on and two outs, and I was getting agitated because I think sometimes you gotta uh, you gotta have that gut check, man. Runners on base, pressure situation. Don't go to the bullpen. Let the kid work through it. But uh, it was good to see McDougal. Uh, you know, he picked the guy off base to get out a little bit of trouble. Then he got through the inning and then uh, went through four. But he was uh, he was strong as far and he kept throwing his stuff. You know, when you walk the first two guys and, and you got the third guy up, you know, it's easy to throw a cream puff and take something off of it because, uh, you know, you're not getting the calls or you're not, you know, executing. He was still throwing his stuff and still competing. So he was still 96, 97. So yeah, I, I love that you, I love that you say that. Um, it's better for a guy to learn to pitch through adversity in A ball or double A than it is to like finally have him do it in the big leagues. And if he fails, that's when you have so many of these young pitchers that start to lose confidence so quickly. I don't belong. Why not have them fail in the minor leagues where you have some insulation and you can let them build up to those those good outings? It's a fine line, man. You don't want you don't want them to get buried in the failure, and you don't want right. them, you don't want them to never experience it either. But one of my favorite scouts in the in the White Sox organization says that the, you know the true test of a guy. He said he likes to see them fail and see how they respond so uh let's pull pull back a little bit give us a couple names like who are your guys if you had to place a bet right now on let's say two guys who are going to be major leaguers that you think are quality major leaguers who are the guys in the white Sox system that you're putting your money on well i'm gonna go uh this is all on the record (laughs) i'm gonna go with now it's easy to say colson montgomery and noah schultz okay so let's just take them completely out of the mix. Love it. All right. Um, I'm going to go with Jose Rodriguez and Sean Burke. Oh, my God. Gonzo, this is your chance. Wait, to wait, just wait, wait, wait. Pop Jose by the Rod- sailor, man. Jose Rodriguez, the, 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 the infielder kid, the Dominican? Yep. And he can't play in the infield today in this team, and, but he's going to be a future MLB. Here we go. Here comes the second wave. <laughs> that, he's third window. He's third window. He's third window, maybe. I'm just saying. So that if TA gets moved, then he's the starting shortstop in the future until Montgomery's ready. Rodriguez is, uh, I think, he'll probably end up at second base. Second but, base. Um, I mean, he plays short, but uh, I think he'll probably end up at second. Um, he just turned 22. He's been out at Birmingham. It's not an injury. He had a he had a kid, and uh, he was he's spending time with his uh, wife and kid. Um, he should be back, I would think, soon. And I wouldn't worry about – he broke his handmate um, last year in, in return, you know, from that injury. He's got seven home runs already uh, in a very short amount of at-bats. Last year he didn't hit his second home run until he was almost 400 at-bats into the season. And then he went on an absolute tear and hit, like, 11 homers in 20 games to finish up. before he, he, he was on fire. And he doesn't strike out a ton. Now, if you look, his K numbers are up this year, too. But they're using that pre-tech uh, baseball in the Southern League. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the pitchers told me that it's an insane advantage for the pitchers. He said that if any pitcher tells you it's not an advantage, it's because they're delusional. and They just don't want to accept they're, they're not as good as that ball is helping them be. Um, I, it increases their spin rates. It increases their movement. It's supposed to increase their command. But I see walks seem to be up, too. But uh, I wouldn't worry about the, the low batting average or the strikeouts for Rodriguez because uh, I, after they get rid of that ball, 
the halfway uh, point of the season, I think his numbers will come back in line. I want to see him in winter ball. He had a horrible winter ball last year. He played very little, and he had. I want to see him one more year winter ball um, to see how promising he's going to be. I have a question though. So you've obviously uh, are a little bit of old school, but you know the the new analytics very well. So what numbers from the old school do you still give credit to, and what numbers do you look at? Uh, from the new wave when you're looking at, at prospects and guys in the minor leagues? What are your go-to statistics that you're like, that you, that you favor? I'm a radar gun junkie, which is, which is wrong because I mean, so many scouts are old school and they, they always emphasize pitchability, but uh, I always prefer it. I always, well, of course, you can throw 99. You can't teach that. You can teach somebody strikes. I always go with the old adage that you can make a lot more mistakes at 96 than you can at yeah. 90. Um, so I'm kind of a radar gun junkie, but I'm big on exit exit below. I'm not sold on on spin rates. I mean, I know that they seem to correlate with success, but when you think about it, three thousand RPM pitch versus a two thousand RPM pitch, you know that's that's revolutions per minute. It doesn't take a ball a minute to get there. So we're talking about this is one more turn of a baseball. How much of a difference can it actually mean? Um, you know, because they, they people, some people really spank it over the the RPMs and the, uh, the spin rates, and I, I don't know, man. One and a half turns of a baseball between home plate and the mound doesn't seem like a tremendous big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I like guys that throw a lot of strikes. I look at at, uh, at swinging strikes, and I like to look at a uh, you know strike percentage. But of course, it's going to be higher at the lower levels because. Guys chase at the lower levels like they don't do as they get higher. So it's kind of a fine line. Love it. Thank you. Uh, all right, Gonzo's, Gonzo said he was going to fire me if I don't ask this question. Uh, so two more guys that we wanted to hit on. Christian Mena, Declan Cronin. What you got? Dude, I love Declan Cronin because he is a late-round grinder, man. And uh, the dude's a workaholic. He's in great shape. Uh, someone showed me a video of him where he was uh, – he was – doing squats and he had the whole rack full and he didn't have any room to put any more weight on it. So he had the damn 10 pounder in his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, but yeah, he's in great shape. He's a late round grinder. Um, his pitches, man, he's got, this is a guy that has great analytics as well. You know, we're talking about all the spin rate stuff. Um, and, uh, he's on a, He's on a heater at Charlie. He threw two more scoreless innings tonight. And I tweeted last week or this weekend about how he was on a roll. I think that he could contribute in the Chicago bullpen um, this year. So and, he's got a 3-1-6 ERA, 22 appearances this year, 25 and two-thirds, 21 strikeouts. Solid numbers. 36th round pick. Out of Holy Cross, OJ. By the way, if he was on any other, if he was on any other team, he already would have been called up. By the way, probably Anaheim brought a guy up that was ERA was at seven point oh, okay, and he brought him up and he threw ninety nine in the big leagues, and again, double A to the big leagues. Oh, Oh, you're talking about uh, that was Ben Joyce. Yeah, Yeah. Ben Joyce. That's a different. I'm just saying, he's a monster. I'm I'm just saying, what? Okay, so what is this kid? Daniel just said that this guy is a. A 39th round absolute beast grinder, okay, that is showing you numbers in AAA that are sustainable to say, let's see what this guy has in the big leagues. 
you're not going to know if he's going to get guys in the big leagues out until he's in the big leagues. So what are you saving him for? So when he gets older, like that guy's a guy that is, is a win-win for you. It's such a late round. And even if he pitches well and other teams see him, then you can possibly move him if he's not in your future plans. So you can't hold guys in AAA and, and, and try to save them forever. And this is why when you look at guys like that, this is what concerns you about the White Sox. Because Daniel's talked about a lot of good arms. Did you really have to go spend half of your budget on bullpen arms? That's <laughs> that's the part where I'm like looking at it and saying, well, I haven't heard about this kid. Like, you know, you look at the numbers and they're pretty good. And, can, you know, where he's pitching is a shoebox. Every ball that's hit in the air is a home run. So, you know, the defense is worse than in the big league. So that, those are the types of guys that I'm like, how come that guy didn't get called up, you know, to the big leagues? Like Mike Rodolfo and Daniel and I have talked about it. How come he never got a shot to come up and play for a little bit in the big leagues and see if it was like he could play in the minor leagues. Let's see what he has in the big leagues. So I never understood that of holding a guy like he's not MLB ready. We don't know that until he comes up. The only thing I can see from his numbers is that, you know, the walks are still a little bit high. One, four, four whip, 14 walks and 25 and two thirds. Uh, has, I mean, have you, have you seen much from him, Daniel, as far as control improving over the course of this season? Look at his game logs. If you, there's a clear line. Um, I think it's about his fourth or fifth game. You know, he got he got racked a couple times early. And I think that if you if you uh, look at your baseball reference page and, and look at the last several outings since you you can see the clear line and, and you can check that strike percentage there. But Ozzy nailed it on the head too about uh, pitching in Charlotte. You can't hold it anything about an ERA against a guy from Charlotte, man. Anything that hit in the air is going to go out. And then the damn grass is so short in the infield that anything with any kind of velocity as a ground ball is going to get through as a hit, too. It's, it's really rough, and it's rough on both sides, fly balls and grounders in Charlotte. Well, Daniel, we're going to go put um, all of our money on Jonathan Cannon and Jose Rodriguez to be rookies of the year next year. Uh, no pressure or anything on you. No pressure. Uh, thank you for joining us, man. Uh, any other final thoughts you had? Any 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 guys that you want to talk about that you really love that we didn't talk about? We're running out of players. I would I would be disappointed if I didn't mention my guy Lane Ramsey. Um, okay. I, you guys probably saw him in spring training. You know, he's six six eight six nine. Uh, throws almost hundred miles an hour. Good slider. Um, hard worker. He could he can get there. He's the closer in Charlotte. He has uh, these blow-ups, and then he puts together a string, and then he has a blow-up. But uh, he's impressive, man. I, I really like him. I like his stuff. He needs to throw you know, a little bit higher uh, strike percentage, but I think that he could be a, uh, a surprise high-leverage type reliever. Okay, Lane Ramsey. Daniel, where can people follow you? Where can they read your stuff? Uh, where can they consume all of your wonderful minor league content? Um, I write for uh, White Sox Daily, and I write for uh, Prospects 1500, and then I'm on Twitter at SlyDano70. Daniel, thank you for joining us. You are the man. We'll definitely have you back on. Uh, second half of the season, we, sh we should catch up after the All-Star break, see what happens in the first half. Uh, and after the trade deadline, we might be talking about some of these guys either in different organizations or uh, potentially with the White Sox. So thanks for jumping on with us. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thanks, you Dan. too. All right, that was Daniel Victor. That was great insight from him. That was sweet. Um, so Jonathan Canyon, that's that's the guy, Junior. That you're, uh, that's the one that you love the most out of everyone we talked about there. 
Yeah, for sure. I I, th- I think that again, when we're talking about windows and our guys ready, you like the fast honest. risers. Well, I just think that you don't have to. You, you you're not going to have so many. T- I, I love the fact that he was very honest and he understands the minor league system very well. But he was very honest with like the Noah Schultz and the guys that are coming back from like TJs and you know saying that they're in a pitch limit and that it's going to take them a little bit longer because he's being realistic. And that's the part where in the minor league system, I don't know what they do now, but in, in good front offices, they have a team and your team's there for, you don't let players see it, but you have like your team for the next five years, at least till where your contract is up and you're projecting and saying, Hey, I'm not going to sign bullpen guys because I'm projecting for a, B and C to be here and C, D and E. So what I'm talking about windows is like, okay, who can help this year? Because if you're going to go in and this is going to go into like what we were talking about earlier, do you have an arm in the minor leagues that you think that if you move a guy like Geo, that you might be able to replace him with one or two arms? Or if you move a couple guys in the bullpen that are high leverage guys, can you bring in a couple guys from the minor leagues that are not going to be complete disasters and kind of hold you over and, and kind of find a way of the, the division's not going to get better, guys. The division's not going to go and improve overnight. So the, this, I think the Sox can, can compete in the division and not having the payroll that the Texas Rangers need to have or that the San Diego Padres need to have. That's the part where people need to realize of like what they're competing against. And then once you get in the, in the playoffs, anything can happen. That's, that's a different conversation. But again, I think that I think the Sox, those are all things that people need to start taking into consideration, especially Pedro. I hope that he's like paying attention to his minor leagues and seeing what guys he can bring up. Um, Cause there's a lot more promising guys at the end there that I thought are a lot, are going to be ready a lot sooner than I thought they were. All right, speaking of Pedro Grifol, let's get into uh, the man that has not been in the lineup lately that should, Jake Berger. This is now the Grifol's Grounds. You know, I don't have a problem making decisions. I don't have a problem making a call on a, you know, on a, on a pitcher. I don't have a problem making a call on, on you know, on the, whatever our team needs at this particular moment. <laughs> I can't get over how loud Ozzy Jr. just shuffled papers in front of his microphone. The men got a three-subject notebook on the pod tonight. Let's let's see it again. Let's see it again, Junior. Free Jake. Jake Berger, for some reason, was not in the White Sox lineup uh, today against the Yankees. Uh, a lot of people were saying Clark Schmidt really good against righties and lefties crush him. Well, Clark Schmidt gave up two freaking bombs to Sebi Zavala. <laughs> so I think if Sebi Zavala can do it, Jake Berger can do it. The I'm kids not, I'm like. Lie. I'm not going to lie. Not to cut you off. I'm a Yohan Moncada stand, right? I want to see Yohan Moncada at third base. Why the fuck doesn't Pedro Grafal make sure that Jake Berger's in the lineup every day? Why? Pedro's job right now is how am I getting Berger in the lineup? Okay. That should be his number one priority. His number job priority is like, okay, I'm going to mix playing time, but it's like, well, how am I getting Berger? Third base, second base, DH, left field, right field. However you're going to get sec- however you're going to get him, you need to keep him in the lineup. My biggest issue, and I texted Gonzo about this in the group chat, how can you tell me a guy is analytically bad against a pitcher he's never faced? Did we look at minor league numbers? Because guess what? The guy that he took deep, that he hit the grand slam out of, the 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 guy from Detroit, 
Yeah, he basically said, yeah, he basically said, I faced Berger a lot. And people, these idiots on Twitter were like, where has he faced him? Well, geniuses, <laughs> they've been playing minor league baseball their whole lives. So he obviously, the, they're, they're, you're facing each other just in a different stadium with a different league in it. So there's guys that Berger has hit right-handers before. So to pigeonhole him so early in his career when he is playing this well and saying, well, he's not good against righties and he's not good on the road. We don't know that. And that's the part where I wouldn't have been as upset that he didn't start today. Had he played against the Detroit Tigers that series, he didn't. Like he came off he had the, six like, at bats in, in the three game series. And what did he do in those six at bats? Pinch hit twice. Well, he had a uh he had one hit. It was just the grand slam, but it was a big hit. But you but Slav, you know what's hard? And people don't realize this when you're not playing that many games and then they tell you and go, hey, go start. And you're literally, he's not in a point in his career where he can just go in and come off the bench every other day and be able to come in and produce. Like what he's doing right now is not sustainable. Like he needs his shot. And the part yeah. that frustrates me with Pedro is everyone in the White Sox organization has had a free reign of like, go ahead and play, go ahead and suck. And from, from my guy Moncada to TA to everybody else on the list, go out and fail, 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 fail. Except Jake Berger. Like, who did Jake Berger date or before he was married? Who, what did he steal in the clubhouse? Jake Berger, that's why I say free Jake Berger. He's the only guy on the roster that is treated differently. They look at stats when he comes to play. They look at his defense when it comes to, you know, making decisions. The they splits. No, they look at – they literally – the only person they look at stats is with Jake Berger because if they look at other players' stats, they wouldn't be playing. They wouldn't be on the roster. But it only comes and happens to Jake Berger. Why? Jake hey, Berger is like the he is the he is the sheep the black sheep on the Chicago White Sox. Everyone else gets a shot except him. I was under the impression that with Pedro Grafal being introduced as the manager, he was going to reward hard work. Who works harder than Jake Berger? Who's Nobody had to work harder. He's a than first Jake round Berger. pick, guys. He's a first round pick. dude. Jake Berger did not make camp. Did not break camp with the team, and now he is. Literally on the ballot. He is the be, team. I'm saying though, he's on the ballot to be in the all-star game as a designated hitter, yet they don't play him. And that's where I don't correlate of Jake deserves it. Had he not played for his spot and not playing this well, and I know that he's not he cannot be the everyday third baseman because Moncada's there and his defense and, and money and contract and all other skew of situations, but he needs to play as much as he can. And be in the lineup so that when he fails, you can say, hey, in 300 at-bats, you hit 110 versus right-handers. And this is why we're benching you versus right-handed pitching. And this is the moment to do it because you're trying to – Jake Berger is going to be here, guys, for the next two, three, four years unless you're going to trade him, which right now does not it's seem not like he's part of the guy. Well, why would you trade him? He He's playing for free. Yeah. In a, in, a part of, in a part of your mini rebuild where you're trying to be uh, less expensive, you want this cheap production. Jake Berger is everything you're looking for at a baseball player right now on your fucking bench dying. Because he lacks the swagger. He is boring. Yeah. But his is- slugging percentage is almost equivalent to Andrew Benatendi's OPS. He's second on the team in homers and RBIs in almost half the plate appearances of Luis Robert. That's he has one less wild. home run and one less RBI. 
So like, there's no reason for him not to be getting consistent at bats. You fix you if you can find a way to get Sebi Zavala in the lineup because of his catching. You can find a way to get Jake Berger in the lineup because of his bat because your offense sucks. If Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets have played the outfield, Jake Berger being in right field would or or left field or one of them would not be that wild or putting him at second base. Okay, Roberto Alomar is not covering the position or or switching him at third for Moncada and, and letting Moncada, like doing whatever it is that you have to do. I just believe that one of Pedro's number one jobs today and where I think that he is not doing a great job with is with the, the Jake Berger playing time. I really, I really, and also he should be fighting for Jake Berger because guess what? That's his guy. He broke into the big leagues with him. That's his future. Berger, Sheets, Vaughn. That's his future. Those are guys that I don't think – if he's worried about keeping guys like happy about Moncada and pe- keeping guys that might not be here or your job is going to be that much harder because these guys, if they keep playing this way, this is the hardest thing for a manager. When a guy is putting himself in the lineup every day based on production, based on him being able to produce and keep himself. That's I feel bad for Jake Berger because at first I was like, okay, he's kind of cool. Like He's had a couple good weeks. Uh, he is the man right now. And he deserves to be in the lineup just like he deserved. Because I said, oh, well, he didn't make the team out of spring training because maybe he didn't deserve it. Those guys that outplayed him, you know, Colas took his job because Colas kind of earned the spot. Jake's earned it now that he's been in the big leagues and he deserves to keep playing as much as possible. Sick. I mean, if you actually look at the all-star ballot for designated hitter, I believe it's really just Berger and Otani. And believe it or not, I believe – Burger's OPS is higher than Otani's. I like how you just casually put like, oh, it's Burger and Otani. Like, <laughs> then what? But if I'm just going so, so, looking so, at so guys, hitters. Who are the all-stars? Who are the all-stars right now? Like, let's make a short list of guys. Oh, that God, deserve. I'm not doing this. I'm, I'm just saying, though, Burger's on there. I think Burger's uh, on everyone's uh, list. Uh, guys on the White Sox that on deserve the White to Sox, be? I'm just saying, like, if oh. you had to pick, like, the, let's pick your top three guys that you mm. think are, are 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 deemed worthy of being in the in the All-Star game. Probably Robert Giolito Burger. Burger makes the list. Vaughn's I don't think right they're too. God, no, he's not. He leads the On the White Sox, you think I, I would be like Kelly Giolito. first baseman. <sighs> he's hitting 253. Yeah, but he's also leading the AL first baseman in ribbies. Because I think That's Joe Kelly, Kelly, and he's not an all star this Kelly, year. Kelly, he had a Kelly's much better case last all, year. He's not making an all star team. Well, I think I think he gets invited to Seattle for the home run derby. That's a whole. Robert team. and Berger are the only two guys that even sniff the all star game right now. Because you don't have you don't have anybody saying, that's got enough saves. Are you saying starters or even period? No, no, I'm just talking about anybody. Period. On the White Sox. Well, you have to. Yeah, you have to have sense. There's no pitcher on the White Sox right now that is is sniffing a, a an All Star game. Not even Lucas. No, he's his ERA is like three nine nine. Like nope, he's five and four. Five. It went down that much today. And dropping three seven five. That's still not an All Star. Not yet. And I. He, so then it goes yeah. to the offensive guys. So it's between Pantera and Berger then. I think. Robert's probably the only guy that actually will make it. I just don't think Berger, if he gets enough plate appearances, I think he has That's a chance. Saying, but, he's, but he's in the conversation. So Pedro's job, again, we're t- focusing on Pedro. Is he has a very hard time right now getting guys in the mix. It's only going to get tougher. 
he needs to let them know what's going to happen with Jake Berger because the fans are now asking where the hell is Jake because he is I'm fun upset. to watch. I'm he's upset. also, by the way, he's also a very Chicago type of player. The way that he looks, the way that he goes about his business in the plate, the way that he grinds everything out. Racism. Chicago White Sox fans love <laughs> that. They love guys that get dirty. They love guys that play hard nose. We heard Ozzy Guillen talking about it in the post-game show tonight. They love guys like that. College-type players that are a grind, grind, grind. Joan Moncada can be an MVP, and there's people that are still going to be hating on him because we don't. Chicago does not like that type of player. Too much swag, looks too good, makes stuff look easy. They're more lean to the burger type guys. So he is. If he plays a little bit well, he will be a fan favorite for sure. Hey, I want to add some fire here because why can't we put burger at or not this one? Sorry, this one. Jesus. Why, why can't we put why can't we put burger at third base and give Mancada some competition that he hasn't had since he's been up here in the big? Because leagues? he's making twenty million dollars plus. Okay. Um, you don't want him in the uh, number one. He's making twenty million dollars plus. The Chicago White Sox do not have the gonads, the manhood to tell a guy like that you're benched um, because they'll be scared of what. Oh, the what Blue he Jays. Do. The Blue Jays just sent them. But again, Manoa. the Blue the uh, the Blue Jays. Again, the Blue know, Jays. You have to have some accountability. Like you were the well, first one that said it, that. By the way, Robert... you guys couldn't. You guys couldn't make a break with the DH. You guys can tell Abreu, hey, we want you to DH and not play first so Andrew can play first. But Abreu wanted to be in the lineup every day with a glove in his hand. But you couldn't My do that last is, year. My question is, should they? Should, should well, you? Should they? They should do a lot of things. They, I've said move Moncada back to second and solve the, solve the problem. Say, hey, you're going to go play second. Why? Because I pay you. Oh, you're gonna. Uh, he's going to be horrible at it. Well, we'll find out. Just move I mean, him. He, he, he was horrible at it when they tried him the first time at, third, at second, but so you have two choices: either play Burger at second, he's horrible, or play Moncada at second, he's horrible. Or, so then just leave Moncada at third and play Burger at second. Like, why can't we? I've been saying that have, all year. I would rather see Jake Burger in right field than in second base, to be honest. He's a natural situation. infielder, so like, let him just be on the infield. I, yeah, the Achilles, I know the, we, the we foot, think the running. Yeah, the we foot, think the like, oh, just stash him in the corner outfield. They'll hide yeah. him. Like, how many times? Has that not worked for the White Sox yeah, with when they Vaughn hit the ball, and Sheets? When, when you make an outfield. error in the right field, that's usually a triple. In the infield, is just a runner on first. Let's look for the double play. That's actually a great point. Yeah, I, I would I would take him at second before I would take him in, in the outfield. And again, futuristic wise, if he does not, if he's if there's not a spot for him, and you can make this roster better because there's a team that really wants him, and you get the Dodgers say, hey, we want Giolito and a guy named Jake Berger. You package him and then get what the positions that you need in return. They're obsessed with all these first baseman corner guys thinking that they're going to get an EH like it's a softball league, and they're not. They're not going to get an extra hitter. They literally think. I literally think they plan to get an EH because Oscar Colas is a future first baseman, another corner guy. It's another EH that they need to. Can we get Billy Hamilton to play like shallow, like short center? Yeah, play like short center softball? again. Billy, the reason that Billy Hamilton on this team is is a plus is because he can pinch run and do things for other guys. By the way, that's one thing on Burger. He runs pretty well, so he's not a complete liability. He runs hard. He runs hard. And he runs well. Um, again, I don't understand. I know that you're four and a half games out playing very bad baseball. Why not try Berger right now at second base and see what happens? Like every day he's out there taking ground balls. Why are you just testing it out? Like just go make it happen. Your shortstop, who's an everyday shortstop, makes errors to lose a game on a consistent basis. 
who cares if the guy at second does it? So it's like you need to get away. Like right now, it's going to keep it being an issue in the lineup unless you find a way to get him in. Yeah, at the very least, Sheets shouldn't be taken at bats over Berger at the very least, like he did tonight. Oh, he will. Like, He's a lefty. But yeah, that's it's that's that not a be, fair comparison. But out of the guys that you know that are out there with Eloy Sheets, Berger for DH and right field. She's even being a lefty, he shouldn't be batting, taking at bats away from Berger, especially when Berger has his um, success over the right handed pitchers. They like Sheets so, more than they like Berger, is my what I'm saying. The, yeah, I think they like Sheets more than they like Berger. They like Sheets' makeup, they like Sheets' maturity at the plate, they like Sheets more. Maybe they like Sheets he's the only lefty better. power bet they have. Yeah. Like, that's really especially all with Grandal getting less and less at bats, too. I mean. After Sheets, it's what what you got left? Benintendi. Really? And Mancada. No power on both those guys. They're not power guys. Well, Mancada hit that one home run earlier in the year. He'll hit, you'll hit 12 to Against 15. the Cubs five years ago? Yeah, that was a good he'll, time. He'll hit, Mancada will hit 12 to 15 just because you thought that you were buying a Ferrari and you were sold a, a Range Rover. But you thought you were getting a Ferrari. Does that mean that he's a bad player? You guys Mancada's are good. like a Toyota Camry. Oh, really? Okay. You know what pisses me off? All these guys are going to have better numbers when they're not with the White Sox. Like, Moncada, wherever he ends up after he's not with the White Sox anymore, I guarantee you he's going to put up an 880 OPS. Yeah, it's just going to be stupid. But, I mean, that's – like I, I tweeted earlier, the, the, the sky above Yankee Stadium, I was like, don't worry about it, guys. That's just a black cloud that follows over the White Sox. <laughs> I see that on Twitter. <laughs> and they won uh, after, that, after you tweeted that, too. Yeah, so I should tweet it again tomorrow. Um, all right, so a non-black cloud, like the opposite of a black cloud. Liam Hendricks back with the White Sox. This guy just beats non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in like four and a half months. Comes back to the major leagues. And after three outings, Pedro Grifols says, fuck it. You're our closer again. Here, here you go, Yankee Stadium. Close it out. One-run ball game. And he did it. Uh, he, okay, sorry. It was a two-run ball game. Josh Donaldson hit a dinger off of him. That's that normal, bastard. Though. And then so, uh, so Hendricks week, gets a save. A week ago today was his first day back, and it, and it was, shouldn't have been. And he and Grafal brought him in into the seventh inning. He gives up two runs, and a tied ball game. Sox lose six to four. His first day back, they put him in that high leverage situation. Tie ball the, game. In the, 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 the high leverage situation. I, I don't think that it was the right spot to bring him back in. Because, again, I think that it was just a hard position. He's a guy that's very emotional. So I'm, I'm his pump level was – and he's talked about, I need to hone my emotions. So his emotions must have been, like, through the roof. Uh, anyone in the White Sox has ever second-guessed the manhood or the balls, the cojones of the Hendricks family after seeing his wife in the stands and him. I talked to my uncle Scott Radinsky, who, who who battled the same thing that he just did. Again, this was more than 15 years ago when when he when he went through his battle. And obviously, medicine's a lot better today. But he was talking about the mental aspect that even once you're cured, he was like, "I did not want to be anywhere near baseball or like it, it was just such an afterthought for me. I want to be with my family and kind of just chill out. For him to be out there in in a big league baseball game, pitching for a team that's supposed to be winning." in a high leverage situation and just being so upfront about everything is just mind blowing. I didn't have him coming back to like next spring training guys straight up. I was like, I scratched him out of my head and I was like, he's back. 
next spring training, he's done for the year. So the fact that he is back, the only thing I think that kind of worked out for Pedro in bringing him in against Anaheim is the fact that now bringing him in New York, you got it out of the way. It's like he's back to closing the home run. That's how he usually closes, gives up one run, strikes out the side. Um, he's not a, usually a very clean inning guy, but he gets it done. And I'll tell you this much, there's a lot of scouts out there salivating when he came out to close versus the Yankees in Yankee stadiums. A lot of reports went out today of saying this guy's back. If his health is there, meaning his health, non-baseball side, this guy's ready and we can make a move for him. So they're going to be getting a lot of calls on Liam. And, and why wouldn't Pedro Griffon make him the closer? There's no one. Liam Hendricks gave in five months, four months of the season saying, take my job. He basically said, take my job. You're, my job is up for grabs. So when I come back, it's hard for me to be back in the position. We go back to the Keck Krimble conversation. Should have been Kimbrough, should have been Liam back back to when they were both there. And no one stepped up and took it. Guys pretended that they took it. They were good for one or two outings and then completely fell off the face of the earth. So he is the guy. It's still his job. And he's, he's going to be the closer because no one could take his job. I still would have liked to see, that, like, not the committee approach to it, but have seen Graveman take the closer role going into the season, but they didn't do that. But regardless, I do have to test what Slav said with up to point of this week with um, Liam, because after he got rough, you know, roughed up in that first outing on Saturday in the ninth, he had a clean frame, held the ninth with the tie going into extras and the Sox win it. And then today he does give up that solo home run, but I mean, that's no surprise with solo shots on Liam because he's been doing that the last two years. But for the most part, it looks like his velocity and stuff is up to par for what it's been since pre, you know, prior to cancer. So um, it's good to see where Liam Hendricks is at right now with bailing back and now taking the closer role as what we've seen for the past three outings. Yeah, I don't uh, think just taking a look at the home run that Liam gave up tonight. It wasn't a bad pitch. It wasn't like it was a hanging slider. It was 97 in on Josh Donaldson's hand. It was just better. He got beat. I think ball. he was just but sitting the, on it. Josh is yeah, a good player. Just jo- Josh it. is yeah. a good player. Yeah. He's having a shit season. That's what good players do. It's what gets the White Sox. He loves hitting against the White Sox. Yeah. He looks over there and he sees softness. Yeah, he I'll looks over and he sees he sees marshmallows. And he says, oh, I can destroy these guys. That's what he sees. I'm not going to talk about my team like that. Well, Josh Donaldson actually does. By the way, uh, Josh Donaldson actually called out your pitcher that was on the mound today, asked him to come off. We don't have to repeat that whole story. Josh Donaldson, your manager that's been not been managing for 20 years, who sits in a studio had to step up and protect the team. It was like you had your you had your 150 year old brother come and protect you in that fight, which was Ozzy and Donaldson. So yes, Donaldson owns the Sox when it comes to that stuff. So I think that he does play well against them because there is a level of comfort for him with the White Sox. Wow, that's the truth. But some players feel good. I put Donaldson, Josh Naylor. There's just a list of guys that come play against the Sox that are like, oh, it's the White Sox. What are they going to do to me? Jose Ramirez. Jose Ramirez. There's just a level of comfort. Cabrera. Yeah, there's mm. a level of comfort of, oh, I love coming here. These guys are like, I'm not scared of them. Just like there's guys that come to the Sox or don't do well because they might be scared of the Sox. It just, it just happens. But I think that in New York, okay, one of the hardest ballparks to play in, even when they're not playing well, in New York, the White Sox, when they go there, they know they're playing their big brother. 
They get pumped up. Players do. It is what it is. High leverage situation. You're going to close out. A guy comes in, hits a home run with no outs. The fact that he was able to hone it in, being his third outing, third, fourth outing back from not pitching, basically, this is like a spring training at this point. He literally did very well. So that's I, – and I thought Pedro – did a good job of letting him be there because he could have gone and said, I'm pulling him out after that home run and, you know, hitting the panic button, but leaving him in and letting him that. And the other thing, guys, when they talk about leaders and the White Sox and the media are trying to look for a leader and they're like looking for a leader, like it's like, let's find Waldo every week. Look at Liam Hendricks. If you're tired of playing and your legs hurt, look at the guy next to you in the clubhouse. That guy just suffered, this, that guy just survived cancer. Okay. Look yourself in the mirror and think, oh, my leg's hurting. Is is that, is that worth not playing? This guy just came back. By the way, making a lot of money, and he could have milked it, could have stayed home, gone on fishing trips, enjoyed his life because, again, cancer, life and death, like that's a conversation that no one wants to have. Your, your whole life probably flashes in front of you. The fact that he wants to come back and play, and by the way, he didn't come back to playing the White Sox up 15 games and, oh, I don't want to be left out. I want to be part of this pennant race. He's like, oh my God, my team sucks. They have no leader. This is a fire stuff. Like he's coming back to a disaster. So for him to want to do that, anyone that's looking for a leader, uh, look at Liam. And he probably should become like the mental toughness coach too on the side of being the closer. Because a lot of those guys need a lot of that stuff. I'm legitly being serious. You don't need a guy telling you that he's a leader. Just look over to him and what he's done. That should be enough for to get you pumped up. Uh, last thing uh, on Grafol's grounds before we get into Southside Daily, a um, couple couple weird things that happened in the Detroit series over the weekend. There was the game with the three wild pitches that scored all the runs, uh, and then the game that Berger hit the walk off grand slam, three straight pinch hitters. But Gonzo wants to talk about his guy, Romy Gonzalez. You sure it ain't Romy? I, I think it might be Romy with two M's. <laughs> so it's Romy like Tommy. So Gonzalez, keeping it easy here. Yeah. Gonzalez, last two weeks, all right, a lot of rough decisions by Grafal, hmm. but I got to highlight Saturday's game because, you know, I know that OJ likes his productive outs. So uh, my boy Gonzalez puts that nicely laid bunt down the third baseline, moves Mancada to second base, which ends up scoring basically Mancada on a pass ball, put him in position to be in that, you know, at third base to score in that pass ball off the umpire's mask. And uh, Mankata walks to the plate because the catcher was trying to help up the umpire. So ultimately, a uh, great decision playing small ball baseball by Grafal with all the negativity surrounding him with decisions the past two weeks. Um, Saturday's game was a, a key one because they end up sweeping the Tigers at home. Um, and ultimately, that's going to lead us to the month of June, which is going to be a rough month. But we present you. to you... We present to you Southside Daily. Why is it a hard? Why did you say is it a rough month? Did you look at the schedule and get scared? Well, I just realized that the month of June, everyone's above five hundred, playing above five hundred balls. So you look at the month of May, and they were telling us how you know 
Sox should be rolling here in the month of May with the layout of the schedule with the opposing opponents being below 500, the majority of them. So, and for the most part, I think the Sox were what two games above 500. So they did have a, they did, they had a good May a, compared to a had, shit April. A, yeah. They had a really good May, which helps put them in this position where we're what four and a half out in a yeah. terrible division. So, but now that, yeah, you look at the schedule, you're like, all right, right. We have a rough month ahead of us. However, you started off with the series on the road, which we've been terrible on the road, but you take game one on the road at Yankee Stadium. So now you have to to win the series. You got to win one, one more of two, OJ. And uh, it's not looking good, though, because tomorrow you're going to have Lance Lynn versus Vasquez, which right-handed really pitchers that are newer to us seems to get the best of us, even though. Lance Lynn has been struggling. At least the last start, he was terrible, but he did have three starts good prior to that, so maybe he does bounce back. We'll have to see. But Wednesday, Lynn versus Vasquez, and then Thursday is going to be Clevenger versus Severino. Um, he got I mean, shelled so, by the Dodgers last time. Yeah, I was going to say, and then yeah. you got to think, Gonzo, this is not uh, Lance Lynn facing. This is the Aaron Judge-less Yankees team. Yeah. You got to take advantage of them. I think the Sox got, might take this series. You got Stanton. It's 212 feet down the right field line. Like, I, I don't know about Lynn in this matchup. Yeah, Stanton can hit it further Stanton. than anyone, too. Which so. I forgot to mention. I mean, if you guys saw that, what was it? The Yeah, the first inning, Stanton was 20 feet from the warning track there on that pitch that he hit off Giolito. I was starting to sweat there because I'm like, oh, shit, this is not going to be a good start for Giolito. But we saw what happened with Giolito. Wrong. That was wrong. 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 <laughs> wrong. wrong. By the way, so, how many breaking balls are, is is uh, is Lynn? So so this is going to be a bad Lynn week. So like mm-hmm. we want to fire Lynn this week, not give him the Cy Young. So this is like a I'm, Lynn sucks. Don't you saw that tweet? Uh, someone tweeted something about the Lynn and Dane. Like don't look at Dane Dunning's last five starts. And I'm like, yeah, God, like, fuck no, I saw you it. and I shared it. it it's literally every <sighs> week. So so Lynn is on the Romy, uh, Gonzalez. I'm going to put them on the list of depends on the week of the year. They either suck or they're amazing. So this week, Lynn's going to be crap, according to everybody, because he's facing the Yankees and and uh, and Judge and well, ju- not Judge List, but Stanton. Again, I think Which the Sox really... versus Severino. I think that they can light him up. I really do. I think yeah. that Clevenger has not pitched horrible, but I think that the White mm-hmm. Sox should have a good offensive day versus Severino, just because I don't think he's bringing his little helper. He's not getting help because he knows everybody's watching him and the Yankees. Yeah. He has not pitched well. He's kind of making adjustments. It usually takes you like yeah. two or three starts to adjust on what you were using before, if you were using something. Uh, so I really think the White Sox have – I like that matchup against the Severino. I really do. Uh, one one key thing I want to talk about with the Yankees is we actually dodged a major bullet. We didn't face Clay Holmes, and we didn't face Michael King today. So tomorrow going in, best believe the Yankees will probably – be ready to deploy them so we definitely they're struggling too guys let's be making honest they're like in third fourth mm-hmm. place the auras you know what the them. the best they're way struggling. to avoid those guys is to have a lead yeah you they are not gonna really? they're gonna waste them they're not gonna waste so, them if you have a lead they're not gonna waste them aaron boone is not does not bring those guys in behind i do want to mention jimmy cordero pitched against the white Sox today i forgot he was still alive jimmy biceps like it oh nice arm cordero. biceps are out so I, I do want to highlight, um, I know we brought up Stanton, but I also want to highlight uh, Rizzo. 
Rizzo's slash line is 293, 365, and 484. Pretty impressive slash line. So He could have been a White Sox. Yeah, could have been. Um, ultimately, though, I agree with you, OJ. I think they lose tomorrow and take the series on that Thursday game. Which means it's going to be the opposite. Lynn is going to pitch a gem and Severino is yeah. going to like shut them out. And here's the thing. And here's the part <laughs> of where counting it. Lynn just has to keep the team close. Don't let it be a blowout. Yeah. Again, when, when yeah. it comes into the matchups and going down, you cannot they, – they're four – guys, they're four and a half games out. Them, them mentally – they could care less if this division sucks. You don't. Your banner does not say 2023 Central Division champions. The division suck. It doesn't say that. It says Central Division champions. That counts. So for them, four and a half games. And I'm saying this because I know if Ozzy was the manager, meaning that we were invested like he was a manager. Oh, believe it. Even though we you knew the division sucked, you're trying to win that division because your job is to get into the playoffs. And get the you know get the playoff little linings on the side and everyone calling your name out to the line and the air the, the planes flying over and it'd be like the seventh playoff the Sox have played in series in my lifetime so it's not something that you're not the Dodgers going in every single year so it's a big deal if they make the playoffs mind you are they going to be maybe a little bit less powerful than other teams in the playoffs on wins and losses absolutely but they still need to win the playoffs this right now it goes back to the situation that Slav said. If they go and sell, they go off and sell a couple pieces, four and a half games out, in literally a division where the Tigers just literally lost five, and they're just going to continue dropping because they're a Cinderella team. There's no way that that team is going to withhold. Yeah. And the only team that can probably withstand this right now is maybe Minnesota, maybe the, the, the Tribe because they've been looking horrible as well. So the Sox, this is a winnable division. So they need to go into every series like they're in it in a division like they were in the East or the West. So I don't think that they should listen to the noise. And I think, by the way, Pedro wins a division, could easily be the manager of the year with the worst of it in the worst division in baseball. Like that's, he, he wants to win a division. Right. It looks better for him winning a division than not winning one. And you guys after, are burying the lead, man. After New York, the Sox come back to home. And they play the Miami Marlins. Luis Arise is going to go 19 for 22. Yep. And before I go into the matchups, before I go into the matchups, you nailed it on the head there, Slav, because Arise is probably the best contact hitter right now in the league. Because He's hitting 401. Line, yeah, his slash line is 401, 450, and 495. So it's crazy. Crazy slash line. Um, but the matchups Friday is Cease versus Perez. Perez, the rookie right-hander, who's pretty impressive um, to start, you know, his rookie campaign. Oh, Eudi, the tall kid, uh, Mini Sandy, that's going to be a tough one for the Sox. By the way, I'm going to go um, on and, hold up. and say, go, finish it out. Yeah, I'm going to finish this because Cease, Perez, get the pitching matchups in. Saturday, Kopech versus Sandy, which is going to be a good one. And then Sunday is going to be Gio versus Garrett, another rookie. And I think they're going to take two of three. Sox are going to take two of three, the first two. <laughs> Oh, my God. That's why Gonzo knows nothing about pitching when it comes to teams that are not outside of the White Sox. The easiest pitch out Wait, of those have... right now is Sandy oh Alcantara. Sandy is the weakest pitcher right now out of all those three. Those two other rookies are probably going to come into shop. Gonzo, you know you don't have to make predictions like when we do this, right? You can just yeah. give us the information. Yeah. I'm going to go back. I know, but I really think, No, I want to go back that... and see how many times okay. you were right. Not, okay. not a lot. Not a lot. Not a lot. Not a lot. That's a very dangerous prediction. Because I know no one, I know you, I know Gonzo does not watch the Miami Marlins. 
And I know 99.9% of the Chicago White Sox fans don't watch the Marlins. They probably don't even know who's on that roster. I watch, I watch the Marlins. Okay. Actually. You watch a uh, Marlins game. I way, the Marlins are not yeah, a I'm bad watching, team. They're in a very hard division. They yes. put the ball in play. They have stellar, stellar yes. starting. Sandy's pitching. been Sandy has been struggling. I'm not just calling the bullshit. Well, the Marlins, but I know I know too. that I know like how cold our lineups. By the way, I know Sandy how won cold the our Cy Young. By the way, Sandy won the Cy Young, and you guys mm-hmm. praise the guy that came second runner up to the Cy Young. Yeah. Every Sandy. every show you guys are, are and that's my boy Siege. You guys oh, Siege is gonna shove Sandy Alcantara is the reigning Cy yeah. Young for the National League, and he's been struggling. So meaning the other two guys are better right now than Alec him. Manoa finished third. Now he's in fucking like rookie league. Like correct. That's just the way it goes. Correct. So if if, if Look, other pitchers on the White Sox played for the Blue Jays, they might. What by the way? What league was that? The Florida bro, Complex League. I've never heard of that league before. It's not even a league. It's just like they they basically sent him down to Dunedin to their spring facility. So, but what it was like a PR thing to get steamed to the, the Florida Complex League. I was confused. Sandy Alcantara is looking at this next start against the White Sox. He's like, all right, that's my get right game. Yeah. And I would put money down that he gets right. Yeah. It's uh when you're the, when Sandy Alcantara looks at the White Sox are the only, there's only two teams under them, which are the Kansas city Royals and the Oakland athletics. I think that for him, it's a, let, let me, let me get, let me find my way versus this offense because this guy's coming from facing the national league East on a weekly basis. Okay. Me so me saying that, the Sox are winning that game doesn't mean he's not going to do well. I'm just saying it's a tie game going to the bullpens. Okay. Well, the well that's what you don't Kopech, want because Kopech is on Miami fire. has been dominating with their bullpen, like literally. I will take that bet. So there takes Kopech deep. Going to mark that one down. Who? You said uh, National League home run leader, second uh, second after Pete Alonso or his Soler. Pete Alonso's yes. on pace for a lot of homers. All right. Are we, are we, so we, is that it? What else we got after we Miami? Got, uh, Tuesday's game, which, yep, is going to be in Dodgers. Lynn versus Syndergaard. So that's an. Oh. <laughs> Lynn gets the Yankees and then he gets the Dodgers? Yeah. Oh, man. This could be Tough either. Go. This is the either going to be Lynn's like push to like, no one talk about me getting DFA'd. It's going to be. We're going to be talking about this man's weight. Oh man! Poor guy. God forbid Dane Dunning threw a five inning four yeah, run. Right? You oh, know, out the way, at least he's not getting hurt. I'm going to give him that. At least Lynn is yeah. not pretending to get injured like other former White Sox pitchers who go down <laughs> against the big boys. And uh, at least course, he's sticking it out. Freddie Freeman slash line three thirty one four zero two five fifty eight. Hit a oh, grand slam no wonder you said. Today, no wonder you right? said June was a tough one. I <laughs> forgot about the Dodgers. Yep. Oh. All right. Let's uh, let's wrap tonight's show up with our uh, our weekly picks, and I can win again. <laughs> say before we do bets that Juan did remind me that I did win was that not on the last show so two weeks ago I did I was right on my predictions for the schedule so I need to take some credit while I'm getting slammed but uh I do believe Sox are going four and three 
in these uh, seven games. So, but yes, Slav wins this week again with his pick of Tim Anderson because Timmy all he does is hit singles for the last two weeks. So don't let King Mac hear you say that. Yeah, don't. Is Mac listening? Is he one of the four people? Um. All right, Slav, you win. Timmy's off the board. It's gonna go Tim Junior, Jay, then me for the picks. Uh, Tim, first. Tim's off. You said Tim. Yeah. Uh, no, Tim's off the board. So I have a feeling. I have a feeling that Yomankata is is about to. Uh, Junior, that was your guy. No, no, I have the same feeling, so you can go with Go it. on. Okay, yeah, I have a feeling. Uh, I don't know, just, just looking at some of the pitching matchups coming up, I just have a feeling from the left side, Moncada's about to start swinging it real nice. So that's that's my pick. So he's going with Moncada. I wanted to be wild, and I was going to go Lance Lynn. <laughs> Against the Yankees and Dodgers? That'd be bold. Yeah. Bold move, Cotton. That, that I, might give you, I might give you 10 points if he... Gets two wins versus those two. I, uh, I'm going Lance Lynn. Okay. Okay. Well, if he if he goes six innings, gives up seven runs, but the Sox score twelve and he gets a win, that shouldn't count. Ah, oh, yeah, it be counts. About that, it counts, big boy. I'm taking anything. Yeah, I know it counts. Game. I'm in first place. You don't have to tell me what counts. Here no, 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 I'm not going to go. Don't I'm let my go. head get big. <laughs> no, you know what? No, I'm not going Lance Lynn. I'm not going Lance Lynn. Oh, I'm, come on. I'm not. I'm 20 points. Don't worry. 20. We'll give you 20 points. No, you the know, fuck we won't. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you know what? I I'll would go five. Lance Lynn. I'm five, gonna go, yeah. I'm gonna go. I'll give you five points. Come on, Junior. Take it. You know what? Let me go with Lance Lynn. Wow. All right, no, I'll, I'll sign off on that. If Lance Lynn gets two wins, regardless of if he pitches well or not, if he gets the win in the Yankees game and the Dodgers game, I'm fine giving him five points, five pick to click, like five weeks of points. I'm down for that. Wow. Okay, I gotta take that. What would all right, we'll get back to that at the end of your second. What would have been your second? But go ahead, Jay. Uh, well, I'm actually terrible at this, so I'm gonna try something new. I'm gonna go Kendall Graveman. I feel like Jesus, you're now. desperate. <laughs> wait, wait. Um, Kendall Graveman just gave up the games, every game from the bullpen. Thank you. Nope. I'm going Thank Kendall you. Graveman. He's going to give us a couple holds. No runs scored. I got a good feeling about our guy, especially with the bullpen. I going to go Gosh, nope. even if he throws like four innings, like how how bad does everyone else have to be of our picks for you to not to get a point? Oh, that's. I mean, yeah. I don't, I can't tell which is better, Clint Frazier pick or the Grayman pick. Clint Frazier. I, I don't even know when's the last time I have seen Clint Frazier play. Hey, he threw a cannon in right field tonight. Uh, yeah. He's a solid defensive replacement. He, his arm is better than I remember. Like threw a. Granted, right field is like I said, two hundred and twelve feet or something down the down the line. He threw a seed home to keep a guy at third base. Yeah. And last but not least is me. I'm going to go with, hi, mom. Because Eloy is going to get hopefully hot. I just think if if Giolito's trade value is going up, I need my boy Eloy's value to go up too. So I know uh, he's been hitting a little bit here with some singles, but I'm feeling some power coming. 
um, the next two games here at Yankee Stadium. And no one ever picks Ben Attendee. It's messed up. I wonder I why. One week, I lost. Why would you pick him? Like, Moncada gets picked more than him. So, the picks were... I'll put it back up again for us. Slav is going with Moncada. OJ's going Lance Lynn for the five points. Jay's going with <laughs> Graveman. Hold up. If Graveman does get a W, do we do we give Jay like three? No, yeah. we're past that. Okay, we're past that. Okay, Gonzo, I'm going with <laughs> We're not cutting Jay any breaks. <laughs> I'm trying. Uh, let's remind people of the standings here. I have four. Yep. Junior and Gonzo each have two. Jay has one. Who? Jay, who did you win with? Oh God! Yeah, I think it was Sheets. That one week that Sheets went off. Yeah. Nice. Good for you. That was probably back in like Tampa. Do you remember <laughs> that? That was a good time. <clears throat> uh, Lizette good. says she's going with Moncada too. Our, our fan pick to click. She agrees Lizette with me. Is a I stand. She's I have I a uh, I'm scared. I think you're going to win this week again because I think yo, I went with Lynn because I think I have Mankata's a feeling. Some some two seamers, some change ups yeah. that run back that, over the plate. I think, I think he's gonna hit York, some mistakes. Yeah, I think he's I like that. I think that a lot of fastball too from those Latinos on the, on him. I can see him going so, off. Well you guys you guys feel four four and three with me or you think three Shut and four? Shut up, Gonzo. <laughs> Gonzo, you're probably I'm 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 worried about who did you pick? Uh Eloy. Uh, Eloy's like his trade value. Rick Khan's just like, we're not going to be able to move this guy. But Eloy's going to be here next year just because Gonzo just picked them this week's completely off of Eloy. I hope Eloy way, has a, a big week. By the way, this is a big week. If they be, if, if they be, huge. if they, if this is probably the hardest week, meaning from an opponent's standpoint on record and, and kind of like, you know, aura. If they are will, if they're able to either advance or get closer than four and a half, or not drop more than four and a half, this they're in this race. Yep. If they go four and three this week, they might be three games back in the division with how bad this division is, and they're four and a half back right now. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. Like meaning they can, because other teams are going like they're going through like their 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 April. Like the Tigers right now, they can't even get an out. Hmm. Um, The tribe is not playing well at all. Meaning. One day good, one day bad. They can't get consistent. The Twins look like they're struggling a little bit. So them going through the, this series of like really tough teams, because I think the Marlins are, are are a tough team just because based on like their pitching and their the division that they're in. I think that the Sox this this could be a big tell if they're going to stay in it or not. Meaning from a from moving pieces standpoint, because I don't think they can trade anybody guys being less than four games out. I'm sorry, that's just way too close. It's got to be more than seven and a half, eight for them to be able to. Yeah, sell. we got to be cooked. We got to be cooked. It's got to be more. I, I, Rick Hahn is already getting so much. They did pressure. it last year. Didn't they have like a five-game losing streak or something, like just before the deadline? But they so basically I mean, like, just they tanked. Games, so before, before we completely get off the show, what's the number for you guys to be like, how comfortable, okay, they can trade. We're fine. Like, seven for me. Seven, seven and a half for me too. Like you cannot be – if you're closer than seven or seven and a half, you cannot sell. At that rate, like you could sell maybe like a reliever, but you can't sell like a piece where you're going to be able to go. I thought we agreed though that you can still sell to retool to be a better team. But that's what I mean though, like who you're going to sell off and what you're getting back. 
I don't think that they'll have the authorization to do it if they're in that kind of range as far as how far back they are, because you cannot give this front office like the reins if you're not sure that you're keeping them in the off season. You like you can't just you can't tell Rick like all right go do go do what you need to do for the deadline if you're not sure that he's actually going to be here to make the moves in the offseason. So well, I be, think be more than likely the the White Sox uh, – yeah, you're probably right. But I think more than likely the White Sox are going to do something similar to last year, like where they stand pat or, you know, they add a very Deakman. marginal – yeah. They bring Deakman. Did you see he threw some shade at the White Sox, by the way, when uh, – there was some quote about when the, when the Rays come calling, it's like – fixing a broken toy or something like pitchers love to to see it like compared to other organizations or something it was just kind of like a slight shot I he think, didn't like the, the lab he wasn't a big fan of the lab the cat's lab um gonzo mini cats mini cats over here and and mr positive uh so what do we learn in this episode noah schultz is going to be in the big leagues next week um, no, Brian, no. Brian Ramos is in the third window, um, and Jonathan Cannon and Jose Rodriguez are uh, rookies of the Kenny year next William, year. Kenny, when Kenny William Jr. is a GM, in for me, years, those guys will be. It's in the big only a matter of time. For me, the biggest part was what OJ said: was why are you spending so much on the so much money in the bullpen when you have all these pitchers that you could have tested out to bring up to get whatever value you can out of them all these young arms. That was the biggest takeaway that has been frustrating me for a couple of years now. Cause you have them. They, they've been succeeding, meaning it's not like you don't have anybody. It's just, just a question of maybe they don't have, I love guys. Usually when you have good bullpen arms is usually guys that have no names and they build their names and then you get paid later. Um, yeah. I, I, I believe I come from the school of thought that you can rebuild the bullpen every single season. Um, more than like position players uh, and, and, and the key factors, um, what I learned is uh, you got to follow um, him for, for more info. A guy that only not only does he know what he's talking about, but he's actually there. He likes like living it day to day, like looking he's at the players. Site. Yeah, he's on site. Like there's a relationship with these guys, you know, gets to know these guys personally, um, which is kind of unique for like for the writing. So I enjoyed that part of talking to him about it. Uh, he has a very cool perspective of like old school and new school of like kind of explaining uh, the numbers and the metrics. And again, I think we're back to two weeks ago. We're like, are they in it? Then we got kind of broken down. Like they're not in it. it we're literally on a week by week basis of how this fan base feels about the team. You know, this is the greatest move ever. This is the worst move ever. We love Lance Lynn. We hate Lance Lynn. Pedro Grafal is the manager of the year. Pedro Grafal, you know, is worse than Tony sleeping. It's a, we don't know what this team is. And maybe this is a team that's, is good enough to win a division and battle it out. And I, I'm a person that you need to get into the playoffs in order to get hot in the playoffs and make a run for it. Uh, and this team is really good in short spurs. So they need to just fight to that division. And right now at four and a half, trust me, Vegas moved that line. That means they have a chance. Mm-hmm. Jay, final thoughts. Uh, the floor is I, yours. Had a, I had a great show tonight. To be honest with you, it was fun talking to uh, Dan Victor. Uh, I've been knowing him on Twitter for the last couple of years. So it's good to actually get to interact with him. A fun show tonight, to be honest with you. And I can't wait for Kendall Graveman to get me on the board. <laughs> uh, so you can follow Daniel Victor, by the way, on Twitter at Sly Dano, S L Y D A N N O 70 Sly Dano 70. Uh, great stuff from him tonight. Great show by Jay. Uh, very mediocre from Ozzy and myself. 
Gonzo yeah. was at the top of his game. Oh, Gonzo um, was just beautiful. Mini four, <laughs> Mini four and three for the White Sox next week. By the way, I'm um, literally going to go book watch it. my only baseball now. Like, I feel like I was like left out. Mini Cats here was, you know, he had all the the four one one on all them. Uh, so thanks everybody in the in the comments. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Blackout Show Shy C H I. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, thanks for everybody that's been watching with us tonight on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. Um, and next week, we'll be back at it. For Ozzy, for Gonzo, for Jay, for Dan Victor, I'm Slav Kobekovich. Thank you for watching The Blackout Show.